Manipulation with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the Robohub podcast. Today we will talk about mobile outdoor manipulation, or in other words, how we can adapt robot arms for use in unstructured and complex outdoor environments. Travis Schneider is a business development manager at ReSquare Robotics, a company which is hoping to improve worker safety, productivity and efficiency through robotic technologies, artificial intelligence, computer vision and machine learning. ReSquare Robotics products include human-in-the-loop teleoperation systems as well as supervised or fully automated robotic systems. And rather than replace human workers, the company's products seek to empower humans to do more by supporting such workers to carry out tasks in a variety of complex environments. Our interviewer, Shihan Liu, caught up with Travis to talk about ReSquare's featured robotic products and services, including their sapient robotic arms and human-centered integration, as well as his insights on the future applications of mobile outdoor manipulation. Hi, Travis. Um, welcome to RoboHub. First of all, could you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, hi, and thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Travis Schneider. I'm a business development manager with RE Squared Robotics. And could you talk a little bit about the major service and the products of the RE Squared Robots? Yeah, so uh, RE Squared Robotics was founded in 2001. Um, so we're, we're best known as basically an OEM of, of robotic manipulation technology. Uh, that's used in a mobile or an outdoor setting. Um, Our company's key mission is really to focus in on two primary areas, uh, first of which is is improving uh, human safety. Uh, Second is human productivity, but where we often try to apply our technology is kind of the nexus of of those two topic areas. So oftentimes we're uh, developing robotic technology that will not only improve worker safety, but also help to improve uh, worker productivity when accomplishing some really challenging tasks. Um, <clears throat> some other things about the company too uh, that people often don't realize is not only are we an OEM of our own robotic manipulators, or our own robotic arms, um, we also produce a, a wide variety of other uh, complementary products uh, to our robotic arms as well. Um, first of which I would say is our human robot control interfaces. Uh, so we've developed you know, over actually a couple of decades uh, worth of research at this point, a very intuitive human robot control interface in uh, applications where you might want to teleoperate or basically remote control a, a complete robotic system. Um, an additional component that we offer our, our users is um, computer vision. Um, so we will often integrate vision as a part of our robotic systems to enable our uh, technology to integrate uh, and interact, that matter, uh, with the with the real world. Um, so, uh, when we're manipulating uh, objects out in space, key to that is being able to detect and locate those objects. So, we often uh, offer our customers our, our computer vision capabilities, where we'll integrate any variety of sensors to to pick up um, or perceive the world around us. Uh, other products that we offer uh, include um, really our cognitive engine as well, we refer to as RE2 Intellect. Um, This is basically a software product that encapsulates our uh, artificial intelligence capabilities, where we'll uh, embed um, 
you know, human-like cognitive uh, capability within our robotic technology to be able to um, interact with, to better interact with the world around it. Uh, and then I, I'd say the last capability or service, if you want to think about it that way, that we often offer our customers as well is uh, our integration capabilities as well. So not only do we produce, you know, the manipulators, we'll produce end-of-arm tooling, we'll integrate all of the required sensors and software, but we'll also integrate that as a part of a, a turnkey uh, solution atop like a mobility platform, <laughs> excuse me. So if you're talking about a, a mobile vehicle, uh, we'll integrate our robotic manipulation technology to that vehicle and provide it as a, a turnkey uh, service for our customers to, to suit their needs. Great. Um, since you mentioned the mobile outdoor manipulation, which is a highly integrated system, I believe. Um, so, and you talked about uh, the last service your company provides is the integration of the, those type of systems. Um, so, could you talk a little bit about um, just just kind of take an example of the mobile outdoor manipulation? Um, what's your company's stress and uh, what's your focus on this part? Yeah, so um, so I guess the, the company got actually got its start in really the defense space. So uh, the, the company got it what was again founded in 2001, uh, really to serve applications and explosive ordnance disposal. Um, and at the time, as a company, we realized that there weren't a lot of good solutions in the market for mobile outdoor manipulators that were small, lightweight, but strong, uh, able to withstand a lot of the environmental uh, issues um, that manipulators would see when exposed to an outdoor environment. And, you know, I, I think it just goes to, to show that, you know, so much of uh, the robotic space is focused in on indoor activities. Uh, frankly, I think because that was kind of the easier problem to solve because you could deal with um, or you could assume that you had things like structured lighting. Um, you could assume that there wasn't going to be you know, precipitation falling from you know, the ceiling. Um, so a lot of those challenges are things that our, our company um, was not only founded around, but, but has worked to, to overcome with time. So, you know, regardless if you're talking about challenges due to environmental issues uh, from like contamination. So if you're, you're dealing with like sand blowing in the environment, making sure that you have robust ceiling against contamination from a vision standpoint, it's taking into account things like uh, glare or frankly, the effects of precipitation on sensors when, you know, water pools over uh, a, a given sensor, it, it might start to occlude or inhibit that, uh, that sensor's ability to perceive uh, the environment. And then I would say the other area too is when you're dealing with tasks in an outdoor environment, oftentimes there's a lot less structure. So in an indoor environment, again, there's a lot of tooling and fixturing that's used to help present parts in a very uniform pattern. Well, oftentimes when we're looking at applications in an outdoor environment, there's very limited structure. We have to kind of adapt to our surroundings. Um, you know, we might be working off of, um, you know, a, a ground um, uh, base, right? And when I say ground, I mean, literally working off of the terrain that the earth presents, right? So there might be rocks and bumps and, and an undulating surface that we have to take into account from, from a robotic standpoint. Um, so those are some of the, the key challenges 
you know, that, that we have to take into account when it comes to, to mobile applications. Okay, cool, very cool. So I was also wondering, it's like, um, things for the, for the, for a robot arm design, it's like there are different parts of focus usually in the traditional robotic design research. So for example, for the sensing, perception, actuation, and actuator, um, and also the reasoning part. Um, for the I-square, do you have a specific focus on those uh, traditional robotics research? Or it's like you, you designed uh, the whole pipeline for all the different areas? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to address all, all the, the topic areas that, that you just brought up there. I think they're all they're all uh, oh, good they are, topics to, to, to point to. And I'll, you can tell me if I uh, covered them all. Uh -huh. We can jump back to a few. Um, so I would say in general, uh, you know, RE squared's approach to manipulation is very different than a lot of industrial manipulators in that from the ground up, we've designed with the intention of our manipulators um, being used one in an outdoor setting and two in a, in a mobile environment where the manipulator is physically being moved throughout the environment. It's very counter to a lot of traditional, I'll call them industrial manipulators that are you know, purpose designed to be mounted to you know, a cement floor, right? They're not intended to necessarily be um, uh, maneuvered through a, a facility, right? Let alone um, be exposed to outdoor conditions. So, so definitely our outdoor capabilities is one in terms of our ability to withstand uh, various forms of precipitation, uh, extreme temperatures um, are also things that we have to uh, take into account <coughs> when uh, in an outdoor setting. Um, two is the fact that we are mobile ready and, and mobile optimized. Uh, so there's a couple of different things that I think set us apart in terms of our robotic design that enable that capability. Uh, one of which is our, our ease of integration. Uh, so we require often just a handful of bolts to connect the manipulator to a mobile platform. And then we literally have two connections to the robotic arm. One is uh, DC power. So we either optimize around 24 or 48 volts DC um, as, our, as our power source. And then uh, second is an ethernet communication uh, line to the manipulator. That's it. Uh, we don't require a separate control cabinet. Um, that's often required for a lot of other industrial manipulators. Uh, also, you know, a lot of other industrial manipulators are optimized around higher voltages and typically AC voltages, so you don't have to rectify um, um, uh, basically your, your DC bus to AC just to power the manipulator. Um, we have optimized strength to weight ratios, so we really put a, a, a lot of focus in terms of how we can minimize the amount of weight that a given manipulator ways in proportion to the payload that it can lift. And why that's important is, um, you know, so if you're dealing with, with a, a given payload, let's, let's call it 20 kilograms, you know, a typical industrial manipulator that would lift around a, a 20 kilogram payload would probably weigh somewhere in the neighborhood of, um, I would guess, 100 to 200 kilograms. As you can imagine, that starts to kind of balloon out all of the infrastructure underneath the manipulator that's required to, to carry that, let alone all the power required uh, to drive that. Uh, whereas with a lot of you know, RE squared manipulators, we try to achieve at least parity with the payload, if not um, 
be able to lift a little bit more payload than what the manipulator weighs in some cases. Um, so what that provides us is, you know, so we have a 20 kilogram payload, you're talking about a, a 20 kilogram manipulator. At that point, your, your mobility platform only needs to carry, you know, 40 kilograms, which is very different than the previous scenario where it was you know, 20 kilograms plus minimally 100 kilograms uh, in terms of the, uh, the equivalent industrial manipulator. Um, the other thing that I, I hinted on um, briefly, but, but probably kind of passed over is the fact that we actually embed all of the uh, intelligence for our manipulators right within the construct of the arm. So oftentimes if you're going to use an industrial manipulator, you've got the robotic arm, which contains not only the structure obviously for the manipulator, but the actuation, but oftentimes the uh, computing and, and controls for the manipulator are left separate in a separate control box. We actually embed all of the components that would otherwise be in that control box right within the manipulator proper. Uh, so there isn't any need to try to you know, sneak in this um, other you know, control box uh, for the computing and, and controls. I, th I think I covered mo most of your topic areas there. You'll have to let me know if I missed any there. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good answer. Um, so in summary, it's like a couple of the strengths you mentioned is like it's lightweight. So it will didn't give a huge burden to the mobile platform. And also it's a very a compact system. It doesn't yep. uh, need a lot of the extra actual control boxes and something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and if you look at a lot of the applications that, that we're looking at is um, oftentimes we're looking at tasks that are very challenging, if not dangerous for humans to conduct. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to be able to perform um, tasks that humans perform today, we have to be able to meld to um, an infrastructure that was basically melded around the human form. So if we start to produce manipulators that are just you know, massive, not only in terms of their physical bulk or size, but also their weight, um, it's less advantageous in, in the sorts of applications that we're pursuing when we're trying to target tasks um, that, are, that are really exposing humans to a lot of hazardous scenarios. Okay, I see. Okay, um, and uh, let's move on to talk about a kind of a detailed products from your company. It's, uh, it's like RE2, RE Square, sorry, RE Square uh, Robotics family, including the 6M and the C class which is like the two featured products from your company. And sure. would you talk, uh, introduce those two, two robotics arms a little bit? Yeah, so, so the RE squared, you know, Sapien line is our, our newest line of robotic manipulators that are uh, now available for commercial sale. Uh, first of which is, is the 6M. Um, it's, a, it's a very rugged manipulator, again, intended for mobile outdoor use. Uh, I'll probably hit on a lot of the, the same talking points I've already hit on there, um, but it's optimized for um, uh, integration to a mobile platform while not sacrificing a, a lot of um, uh, strength. So the manipulator itself, I believe, weighs somewhere around 44 kilograms, but is capable of a maximum uh, payload of around 50. So again, when we talk about that strength to weight ratio, being able to lift a little bit more uh, than what it weighs 
uh, is highly advantageous when we're talking about those ergonomically challenging applications in an outdoor setting. Um, so it's been, again, designed from the ground up to be able to handle a lot of the environmental conditions that you would be exposed to in an outdoor setting. So we have a you know, proprietary ceiling technology that we're leveraging. Uh, it integrates our highly optimized um, uh, actuation design to be able to achieve that strength to weight ratio. Uh, it's got a lot of integrated features that come right out of the box um, that uh, support you know, advanced vision, vision integration. Uh, so we've got direct ports integrated right onto the arm to make it really easy for us to adapt um, vision sensors or other sorts of sensors that we need to integrate for our um, manipulators to be uh, deployed in a given application. Because it's, you know, it's interesting because we're both an OEM and a, a consumer of our own robotic technology. So we've kind of designed in a lot of those, those nice to have features that, that engineers often ask for, but can't really get out of uh, other robotic suppliers. So they've, they've kind of been built into the, uh, the 6M product. And we've already gotten a lot of you know, interest into that product and, and we're fielding uh, a number of applications with that product. And then you also referred to the, the C-Class. So basically the, the Sapien C-Class is our underwater um, uh, variant of our standard terrestrial arms uh, that is capable of performing tasks in an underwater setting. Um, so RE Squared as a company has kind of evolved in not only um, addressing those applications in the defense space for explosive ordnance disposal, not only in a terrestrial setting, so that's kind of where we got our start, but then I, I, you know, in the, um, uh, I want to say, I forget if it was around 2016 to 2018, somewhere in that range, we started to get a lot of interest into um, applications in an underwater environment. Um, also to support explosive ordnance disposal, but just in an underwater setting. So the C-Class is actually, you know, a variant of, of our underwater manipulators uh, where we're going to be up targeting other sorts of challenging um, applications um, where you know, human divers would otherwise have to perform those tasks. And it, as you might imagine, um, you know, divers performing work underwater uh, can often pose a lot of hazards uh, to the diver, um, regardless if you're talking about just you know, something basic like removing you know, rust from the, from the underbelly of a ship to, to applications like underwater welding and things of that nature. So um, there's, a, there's a wide variety of tasks that exist not only in a terrestrial setting or, or in a, a typical you know, above water setting, but also tasks that exist uh, underwater. And similar between uh, not only the, the uh, standard RE squared sapien manipulators that are targeted that those uh, above water applications, the C-class mirrors a lot of the same characteristics. So high strength to weight ratios, uh, being very compact, power efficient, um, having all of the intelligence embedded right on board, it, it mirrors all those same characteristics um, that you'd find with one of our terrestrial uh, manipulators. Okay, great. Thank you for the introduction for the, um, the RE Square Robotics family. And, uh, um, and then let's back to the, like the a big picture of the company. Since I know the, the big goal of the company is not to use robotics to replace the human workers, Instead, the RSQL is desired to use robotics to enhance 
the workers' safety, efficiency, productivity, and longevity. So I I would ask you what's your uh, what are your thoughts on the future human human robots collaboration based on the the goal of the company sure. and yeah. uh, and I know human robot collaboration is like uh, is a very hot topic right now. Right. And, right. Uh, um, as an Square, uh, what's the what's your thoughts on the on this topic? Yeah. So this this is a question we get quite regularly, as you as you might imagine. Um, you know, a lot of folks that um, might not look too far into the conversation, often look at robotic technology as just replacing jobs. Um, and, and frankly, you know, the challenge that we're often trying to solve for our customers isn't a challenge of, hey, how do I get rid of workers? It's, hey, how can I help to make my workers more productive and keep them in the workforce for longer? So a lot of the types of jobs that we're talking about or tasks more specifically, are extremely ergonomically challenging and extremely hazardous, right? We're not we're not talking about um, uh, you know very uh, uh, conducive work environments. We're talking about manipulating heavy payloads and awkward shapes and awkward form factors um, day in and day out. And we're talking about jobs that are at you know intention in terms of you know the cost of manual labor versus. Um, the ability of these these groups to be able to perform uh, in the market. Um, so we're we're often tasked with how can we make workers more productive. So the the goal of our technology is often to provide um, folks with a better tool to produce to do their job faster. So I often equate this to um, you know we're we're getting into the construction industry now. So you know I, I often look at a, a similar analogy is the difference between a shovel and an excavator, right? So mm -hmm. a shovel can dig a hole, right? But an excavator does a much better job. And there's still like a human tie to, to either one, right? So that's that's really the objective of our technology is how can we make truly that army of, of one or army of few act as an army of a lot more people um, uh, through our technology. And then when you talk about uh, human robot collaboration. This is something we've been focused on uh, basically as, lo as long as the company's been around. Uh, again, our, our start was in explosive ordnance disposal uh, with the, the U.S. military. Um, and there's a lot of similarities there, or, or a lot of, I should say, lessons learned that I think we've picked up on along the way. Because um, soldiers you know, don't necessarily have a background in, in programming or, or how to operate robotics necessarily. Um, so not only key to our success in the market has been um, the ability of our robotic systems to perform outdoors, but also the ability of operators to very quickly be able to conduct extremely complex tasks through uh, our human robot control interface. Um, and, you know, when, when we talk about um, the human robot control interface, oftentimes there's, we refer to it as a spectrum in terms of you know, what's required according to the application. Um, in some cases, like when we're talking about um, applications and explosive ordnance disposal, it's literally a one-to-one -one, um, uh, matched uh, operator to, to robot motion, right? You don't wanna try to automate necessarily any of the tasks associated with uh, explosive ordnance disposal because they're completely unique, right? And, and it requires a lot of, 
of um, human understanding of, of how to interface with that device. So in those cases, we're looking at strictly you know, teleoperation where the robotics performing, the robotic systems performing the manipulation tasks and the human operators there to perform um, purely the cognitive tasks. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, there's um, a lot of talk obviously about you know, fully autonomous systems. Autonomous driving obvi obviously is, is what uh, garners most people's attention today. I think we're, we're quite a long ways from robotic systems being able to autonomously interact with things in an outdoor setting um, just without, without any human supervision. So where we often settle in on is what we refer to as uh, supervised autonomy, where a robotic system might be able to autonomously detect uh, an object of a given classification and interpret how to properly grasp or how to maneuver that object, but still keeps a human in the loop uh, as it's making those decisions. And that's where I see a lot of um, our applications going and, and frankly, a lot of applications into the future going uh, because the, the world is much more complex than what I think we often uh, give ourselves credit for. And I, I perceive that, that humans will long be in the loop with robotic systems, um, I think we're still quite a long ways away from, you know, autonomous systems taking over, you know, the entirety of the earth. Okay, very interesting. Great. Since we talk about the, the supervised uh, supervised autonomous or like semi-autonomous, mm -hmm. so in this process, we get involved, uh, we get the human and the robot involved for a task together. So when human and the robot are working on a same task, or like they are collaborate each other for a task. So the intelligence of take of take over. It's like the human will take over the task from the robot, and the, the robot will take over the task from human. This interaction, do you think this interaction is a pretty tough task and uh, which needs a lot of the efforts to, to work on? Yeah, so I think it 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 um it all boils down to how you can um, break down that task. Like, how complex is the task? You know, if it's a task of, um, you know, grasping the same object time after time, time after time, time after time, even if that object's at a slightly different orientation, you know, that, frankly, that's a task that, you know, robots are, are very good at. But if you're dealing with an application where you're having to interface with, with different objects, with different color characteristics and different environmental conditions. Um, the robot will probably still be able to detect and locate those objects, but sometimes it might need some help. Um, so there's, there's still a lot of, um, of those edge case scenarios where um, robotic systems aren't necessarily bulletproof in terms of their ability to um, overcome a lot of, you know, complex uh, manipulation tasks, particularly as it pertains to things like um, flexible materials, maybe like the handling of like cabling or cable assemblies is often another, you know, challenging task where, you know, as you pick up the object, the object starts to deflect and deform. Um, and then we as humans naturally kind of adapt to that. Whereas, you know, oftentimes robotic systems assume that, you know, this thing's in, you know, infinitely, you know, um, uh, stiff and it's not going to, to bend or, or bow 
as I pick it up. So those are sorts of some of the sorts of challenges where it is oftentimes very helpful to have a human in the loop to help to be able to compensate so for those um, more complex or challenging manipulation tasks. Okay, great. Um, and I think this will be the last question. So I will ask like, so what's the near future plan for the for the mobile outdoor manipulation uh, in the iceberg? Yeah, so I, I would say that the future plans are are to continue to get more of our technology out into the world. Um, you know, in, in terms of the robotic space, um, robots have been around since well, I think the early '60s in terms of you know in factory automation. But in terms of um, applications in an outdoor setting, I, my personal belief is that we are just scratching the surface. So. Um, there are a ton of tasks that humans are exposed to, even in 2021, um, that frankly humans shouldn't really be exposed to, uh, given the level of you know, hazards or uh, challenging work environments that, that we're often putting humans in. That, again, that's not to say that I want to pull jobs away from humans, but I want to give them um, better tools to do their job with going back to that shovel versus excavator example. Um, you know, I'm trying to get more excavators or robotic manipulators out into the world that will help uh, to alleviate a lot of the pressures with people doing really hard things or, or really hazardous things. Um, so, you know, we're seeing a lot of applications in the aviation space and the energy space. We're starting to see some applications in the construction space and, um, just hoping to get out and uh, see more applications where we can help to make uh, life a little bit easier on on folks who are having to deal with some really hard uh, jobs today. Great, thank you. I think that's it. And uh, thank you again for your time. And that's it for today. As always, check out robohub.org forward slash podcast for more episodes and loads more robot and tech related content as well. And while you're there, why not find out more about our Patreon campaign? As our podcast is entirely run by volunteers who give their time and expertise freely, we really rely on support from our listeners to help us keep going. Just a few dollars a month, the price of a cup of coffee can make a real difference. So if you enjoy listening to our content, check out how you could support us at robohub.org forward slash podcast. And we'll be back in about two weeks time. Until then, goodbye. Manipulation with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.